What if you could be doing something smarter with your money that creates income now? If you're wanting to get ahead financially and enjoy greater freedom of choice, if you want a comfortable retirement and you know you'll have more choices if you can do more with your money now, if you've wondered who else is creating ways to make their money work for them and you want actionable ideas with honest pros and cons and no fluff, welcome to the Richer Geek Podcast. We're here helping people find creative ways to build wealth and financial freedom. I'm Mike Stoller, and in this podcast, you'll hear from others who are already doing these things and learn how you can too. Welcome back to the Richard Geek Podcast, everyone. Today, we welcome Rachel Marshall and Bruce Wanner. Rachel is the co-founder and chief financial educator and content strategist of The Money Advantage. She's known for making money simple, fun, and doable. Bruce Weiner is the lead advisor of The Money Advantage, where he designs and communicates the individualized solutions that help their clients increase cash flow and help with financial control. Now, what is The Money Advantage? It's a team of financial freedom architects for wealth creators. You have a three-step roadmap to maximize your money by keeping more of what you make, protecting it, and turning it into cash-flowing assets. Their family office model brings you the concierge service, usually reserved for the ultra-wealthy, a team of licensed professionals to coordinate every part of your financial life. This includes strategies for cash flow, long-term tax reduction, estate and business legal planning, creative whole life insurance strategies if you want, and alternative investments. What we're talking about uh, as far as the banking secrets, or if there's anything that they need to know, the investors and entrepreneurs, give me three examples of what it is you're talking about, how you can help people with their banking. So, Mike, what, the first thing I think you we touched on this a little bit before the podcast about uh, a family office. And the reason that uh, family offices exist is that they realize that a, a small thing that slips through the cracks is actually a big thing with when you have a lot of money. Mm. And so they actually set up their own um, investment advisors. They actually set up their own CPAs, their their own uh, uh, attorneys, and they actually try to have this all in-house and everybody's able to talk to each other. Mm -hmm. And of course, they, they don't have their own bank banks necessarily, but um, they have their own banking advisors. And then some of them are actually using family money eventually. So they actually bring the banking process for their investments into the fold. And so um, the Money Advantage has a collaborative existence with E3 Consultants Group out of St. Louis. And we have actually over the last 25 years said this is a great model. So why, but not everybody is uber wealthy. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we said, why don't we bring it down a bit so that many people can participate? Well, you can't participate if you have to actually hire your own lawyer, your own CPA, so on and so forth. So we actually have what we call a family office model. So this mm -hmm. model is actually a network of resources that are either in-house or they're actually um, a network of vetted resources across the country. Mm -hmm. And so that's how we try to help uh, what I would call retail investors actually take advantage of 
the family offices what they take advantage of, and that's collaboration on all aspects of their financial services. The first one, as you alluded to, is where do you store your money? Because everybody has a need to store money. Mm-hmm. And as, as uh, most people have found out nowadays is that storing money in the bank, you get no incentive to do that. And yet, latest estimates, there's about $17 trillion being stored in banks. So I call it the new normal. Okay, they're going to give you uh, 0.05% for your money, uh, maybe a half a percent for a five-year a CD, and yet people are storing their money in a bank. Why? Because they don't know where else they can store it safely until the next um, investment opportunity comes about. Mm-hmm. So I am a certified Nelson Nash um, Institute practitioner for the infinite banking concept. And so what we try to do with these people is introduce them to another place to store money, which is a specially designed ins- life insurance contract, uh, mm-hmm. utilizing a uh, whole life. Mm-hmm. And this does a couple of different things for people. First of all, there is not a limit to how much you can actually put in by the IRS. So the IRS has limits for Roth IRAs. They have limits for, for traditional IRAs. Um, they do not have a limit as long as you can qualify for it financially. So the life insurance company has a limit on how much insurance they can put on you but the IRS doesn't have a limit of how much you can put in according to IRS uh, guidelines. There's some other IRS guidelines that we'll, we can talk about later. But here's the, here's the, this is a multifaceted tool that people can use that are going to get uh, better than bank returns, anywhere between three and a half and 5%, depending on uh, where they are in their life. And it's a tax-free return. So a tax equivalent return for very successful people would be up in the six and a half, seven, seven and a half percent range. And so we have a a warehouse of something that you can use when an opportunity comes, you can actually access this money to get into a cash flowing investment. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. You asked for three examples and I was trying to figure out how we wanted to position this in just three examples or three um, facets really that are about infinite banking. But this term infinite banking has also been called cash flow banking. We use privatized banking. Um, This idea allows you to be the bank. And what I mean by that is that instead of using another institution to store your capital and have to ask them permission to use your capital or interrupt the compounding on that growth, even though it's a tiny amount of growth that you're getting, you still have to interrupt the compounding, stop the growth in the bank, use the money somewhere else if you're gonna take the money out of the bank and go invest it somewhere. Instead of doing that, you're able to be the bank where you are storing, like Bruce was just saying, you're, you're warehousing your own capital. And now that capital is growing through two ways. One is through guaranteed interest, Another is through non-guaranteed, but highly anticipated dividends. So you're getting this growth on your capital, which is growing your cash value that you can access and use. What's really fascinating about this is it's exactly what the banks do. The banks are in a position where they have capital. They're using their cash to earn interest. They're not just thinking about paying interest for the use of money. They're saying, how do I control the capital? And when I control capital, I can use that to go generate interest and generate returns. And so instead of being like 
the customer of the bank where we're paying the interest to the bank, we're instead saying, hey, how do I take over that banking function where I'm earning interest? The other really key piece I touched on that I'll bring up here, and I'm not sure if we're saying three um, examples for you, but we're kind of working this together in, in a picture that is really multifaceted, but it's very, very simple as well. This idea that if you store your capital just about anywhere else, you are going to have to take the money out to use it. With whole life insurance, with this privatized banking concept, you are able to use the tool of life insurance to build capital in cash value, and then you borrow against it when you want to use the cash. Now, this is not the only way. You can certainly take a withdrawal. It's just not the most efficient way to use your cash. When you borrow against it, though, you're actually collateralizing your cash value, which means it continues to grow with that dividends and interest while you take a loan against it. So the life insurance company, you're borrowing their money. That's OPM right there. You're using other people's money. You are, they're putting a lien against a portion of your cash value and collateralizing that loan, which means you're getting a better rate of interest on the cost of your capital. You're able to take that loan and go invest that somewhere else. So how does this plug into hotel investing or any other type of investing? You can use life insurance to store your capital before an investment and borrow against it and then invest your cash. You can also use it after an investment. You invest the money first, you have a return, you have these dividends coming from your investments, you put those into life insurance, you're growing that cash value, and now you can multitask that money or stack it because you're able to use that cash value over and over to do more investments. Okay, now it's, it's very interesting. Um, and there's no fee, you know, it's like, so I can borrow from it, from the whole life, use it to invest. And then there's a repayment because I'm borrowing from it. So it's, it's, yes. a, it's a loan against my life insurance. So explain how that works. Sure. That'd be great. First of all, there's no uh, loan qualifications because they have your collateral. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you, and the, the part of the collateral is actually the death benefit. So they know that if you do not pay the uh, loan back, they will simply deduct it from the death benefit at the time of your death. So they have all the collateral they could possibly need on this. So there's no, there's no uh, requirements. So you just simply sign a piece of paper and say, I would like X amount of dollars because I have capitalized this here. And they will simply electronically put it into your bank account. There are no terms on the loan other than there is a a 5% interest on the uh, loan amount, but that 5% interest is charged. You do not have to pay it. Now we encourage everybody to pay it so that you can build up capital again to reuse it again, and then just rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat this. um, And the terms are set by you, the repayment person. So I actually help a lot of clients that say, Hey, I want to go do X with the money. I want to pay it back over, a, a, I believe that this is going to be a, a seven-year hold. We were talking about liquidation events earlier, seven-day hold or seven-year hold. So I want to actually pay this back over amortization over a seven-year period. But if something comes up, Mike, like uh, you, uh, you lose your job or a major expense comes up, you can simply stop the repayment and then start it up again. So it's very, very flexible. You are in control. And we encourage people to do this because your capital that you're 
of capitalizing the policy is never inter interrupted. It just keeps going, keeps going and going. And the life insurance company knows that. So they're able to then loan you against, we always want to make sure mm -hmm. people understand it, against your, not, you're not borrowing your money. You're actually borrowing the reserves of the insurance company. Now, this comes up all the time, Mike, and I'm sure some of your listeners are going to say that. Why would I want to borrow the money instead of just using the money that I have? Um, and this comes up all the time. People say, well, I have 200, 300, 400, 800,000 in the bank. Why would I want to go through all this process instead of just using that cash? Well, as Rachel said earlier, and I know I'm reemphasizing this, but this is a very important concept. If you take the money out of the bank, you have lost that compounding for the eternity of that money because you've used it somewhere else. If you borrow against it, you have an arbitrage just like the banks use an arbitrage. So they pay us to give them money in the form of an interest rate, and then they lend it out to somebody else, and that's how they make money on that arbitrage. The same thing happens within your own banking. You, your money continues to make money, and then you have a loan interest, but there's an arbitrage in between those that you're actually uh, acting like the bank. Actually, I just wanted to piggyback on that real quick. I think there's a misunderstanding that a lot of people have, and it's that we don't think in terms of the cost of capital. Now, if we go to the bank and get a loan, it's easy to say, okay, well, I'm financed at, I don't know, whatever you financed at for that given time frame. It was 4% or it was 18% on a credit card or whatever you financed at. That is easy to see that interest rate is your cost of capital. But if you're storing cash, the cost of using that capital is exactly what Bruce talked about. You're giving up the ability for it to earn something for the eternity of that money every year going forward into the future. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So you either, you either pay interest or you give up the ability to earn interest. Nelson, and here's used, the to thing. Say that, Nelson used to say that all the time. He goes, we're mm -hmm. either paying interest or we're giving up the ability to earn interest. And Nelson, that's Nelson Nash. I, I'm not sure we mentioned that on the, yeah, we did. We, we yeah. said that on the show. Yeah. So the interesting thing about that is that if you are thinking about all capital has a cost, that means even if I use my own cash that I've stored in the bank account to go invest, there's a cost of using my cash. So what we want to do is recognize there's a cost of capital. And instead of trying to have no cost because we can simply never have no cost of capital. Uh, that was a double negative, so it might be hard to follow. <laughs> Let me rephrase. There is always a cost of capital. You do not um, ignore it. You do not prevent it by paying cash. A lot of people think that they can. They can. You cannot prevent the cost of capital. But what you can do is figure out how to earn as well at the same time, which then shrinks your experience of the cost of capital. And what I mean by that is using arbitrage. So if I can borrow my cash from the life insurance policy and say that's a 5% fixed interest rate, but I can go put my money to work in a real estate investment that's going to earn, I don't know, Mike, what are you, what are you seeing typically that you're earning? Well, the hotels were, uh, our dividends around nine to 10%. Okay. Uh, you know, it's just, that's why we're in it, you know, instead of the multifamily, yeah. which is around four and a half now, you know, it's right. the returns. Um, all right. We're recording again, part two. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, a question I have, uh, you know, we're talking about 
how you can put money into rolled into a, a whole life insurance policy. You can borrow against the policy. Uh, are there any restrictions about when you can start borrowing from the whole life? I can't imagine, hey, you know, I just got a million dollar policy. I put some money into it. I want to borrow day one. You know, is there any? Yeah, actually, yeah, actually, it's a great question. There's a variety of ways you can actually design them. Um, the, the Nelson Nash Institute actually has a policy on where to start. And that's usually about what's called 30% base, which means you're going to have about 75% of your cash value available at the end of the year. But you're going to have somewhere in the neighborhood of 70 to 71% of that cash value available at the end of 30 days. So it's not day one, but uh, within 30 days, you'll have about between 70 and 71% of that cash value available. And of, let me just clarify of the premium you've paid in. So when somebody says, and I, I caught this in your question, and I don't know if this was your question or not. I just wanted to answer it. Sometimes people say I have a million dollar policy, which means I have a million dollar death benefit policy. Can I go borrow a million dollars? The answer to that is no. We're not talking about borrowing against the death benefit. We're talking about mm -hmm. borrowing against the cash value, which is the equity portion, like in a house, the equity that you can access and use, which is a portion of the death benefit. So mm -hmm. I just wanted to clarify that. Go ahead, Bruce. I did not mean to. No, no, that, that, that's fine. Um, so, that, but that's a good, that's a good place to go because a lot of times people say, well, I can do the same thing in the, with the equity that I have in my home. And I often use this as an example that uh, a whole life insurance contract is like a piece of property. And since you guys work in the real estate, uh, you're gonna understand this. And so with a piece of property, you actually are gonna have some equity in there that you could go to the bank and say, I wanna borrow against my equity. Well, when you do that though, the insurance company, not the insurance company, excuse me, the bank is gonna say, well, what proof do you actually have that, you could, that you're gonna pay this back? And so that's one hurdle you have to overcome. The other hurdle is there's no guarantee that the real estate is actually going to continue to appreciate in value. Now, historically, that might be true, but there's no guarantees. If you consider a whole life insurance contract, especially designed, you do have guarantees that it is going to appreciate in value. And because of that, and because it's not a piece of of tangible real estate, banks don't want to be in the, in the real estate business, right? That's why they put so many hurdles on you as far as actually making you qualify to pay it back. So banks don't want to be in the tangible real estate business. It, they end up losing money. But it, because this acts like a piece of property, they don't care about uh, if you default on a loan because they already have the collateral and they're, they're just going to take the collateral from you. <clears throat> and if you die, uh, before, before you pay it all back, they'll just subtract it from the death benefit. So it's a very simple concept. People try to make this a lot more complicated than it is, um, but it's a very simple concept. Now let's get back to uh, uh, as far as accessing the capital. And then the next year, Mike, you put in another premium because the, the initial drag on the policy <clears throat> is, at the, is at the, in the early years. Every year you put more capital in you have more access to that capital almost right away. So example, on year four, if you were to put $100,000 in, in 30 days, you'd have access to almost $100,000. Be very close, about 98% of it. <clears throat> so if you can be patient in the early years 
And what are, what's some of the drags in the early years? Well, it's, it's the actuaries designing the actual product, the underwriters deciding if you're healthy enough to actually have this, all home office uh, real estate, <laughs> uh, obviously, and home office customer service, and then paying people like Rachel, myself, and our team to actually present the, these and then actually carry these out for your entire life. So those are the early drags. After that, you get to year four. You basically, whatever you put in, you can, you can access um, and use as collateral against the loan. So that's basically how soon you can get to your cash. Okay, so for the first couple of years, you know, we're treating this as basically kind of like a savings account. Mm-hmm. You know, you're just kind of building up your savings account, but it, instead of in the bank, it's in this policy. Um, now, what are some of the, the myths? You know, because I've had so many people in my life say, oh, you'd never get a whole life policy. You know, those are, you're always, you know, get the, you know, there's all these people saying this. So there's, yes. there's got to be some, some myths that people are, uh, are, are thinking, yes. you know, <laughs> so. Yeah. Yes. And honestly, I think this is probably our favorite part to talk about because I mean, honestly, it's kind of emotionally charged. It's interesting mm-hmm. how, strong the opinions are on both sides and how much misinformation there is and how much people have just heard through experience of life that somehow whole life insurance is bad. And so their mind says insurance, whole life, don't want anything to do with it. And they don't open that can, or they don't like open the door to see what amazing things are behind it. And it's just really, really unfortunate. Um, Bruce, I'll take the first one and then we can I mean, we can just go through whatever you see our myths, but I think the number one is that people say it's a bad investment. And first I would love to dispel that myth completely. Life insurance is absolutely not an investment. So there's two different tanks. I think of money in terms of tanks. I use this concept that's called circle of wealth. And there's actually two literal tanks. One is a red tank and one is a green tank. When you're talking about investments, that's something that has risk attached to it. That would be in a red tank. This is like a uh, any type of investment where I can get a good return, but I have the potential for loss. Now, the green tank is going to be money that I think of as safe money that is savings. So if I think investment, I've got a higher potential for return, but I could lose money. Safe money is savings that I am not going to lose money, but it's also not going to be as exciting of a return. It's really more of that, like you said, bank savings. It's like a CD. It's comparable to storing money in your safe or under the mattress or in the coffee can in the backyard. This is money that's not going anywhere, but it's also not growing at very fast rates. What I would say is life insurance is a safe tank asset. So it is, a, it is an asset that belongs in the classification in our mind of savings vehicles because it is safe, liquid, and growing. Simply, that just means it's not going to lose value ever. Whatever your floor is in that policy in terms of your cash value and your death benefit, you are not going to say, oh, tomorrow the value is cut in half because of market forces or something like that. There is just soundness and security of knowing it's not going to lose value. And then it's liquid because you can access and use it. It's growing and it's growing at better than bank rates. So that's the first myth I would love to clarify. Yeah. And Mike, the other one is, is that people say, well, you can't get to your cash. And that is, that is uh, if you're, if you're truly just doing what's called ordinary life or base policy, 
and you don't specially design them. That is true. You may not be have any cash va uh, available for an entire year, and in some cases, two or three years. And that, that, that's not necessarily a bad thing for some people, because when that happens, you're actually your death benefit gets pushed up really, really high. So what a specially designed uh, policy does is pull down that death benefit to as far as we possibly can to get more money accessible to you according to the IRS guidelines. It's called 7702. It's actually in the IRS tax code. Mm -hmm. And so we pull that down, that death benefit down as far as we can to put as much early cash value into it. Now, sometimes uh, I was just on the phone this morning with a person that says, I don't want as much early cash value available. I'd like to still ratchet up the death benefit. So there's not a one size fits all. That's why we call it specially designed because we're going to design it according to your needs. Now, there's, we, we don't have enough time in this podcast to talk about all the different designs, but that's why you work with a, a competent person that, that does this. So I'd say that, was the sec that would be the second myth. People say, oh, it's terrible because I can't get to my money. Well, that's the old way of doing it. Before Nelson Nash actually used something called a level paid up additions rider that was always available in the contract, but the producers didn't necessarily design them like that because it was really looked as a death benefit vehicle. And the, and the third thing I think that is a myth that comes up is that um, people really... Um, they're either an investment person or they're an insurance pr producer and they're, they're fighting for capital in the, in those industries. So the insurance producer says, Oh, don't put money into any investments because you're going to lose it. The investment person says, don't put any money into a life insurance policy because it's a bad investment. So the industry is fighting against each other. Luckily I'm an insurance producer and an investment advisor. So I actually take, a person's um, total picture into consideration. We call it a financial picture. And with their goals and aspirations, not only for them now, but generational planning down the road. And this would be the last point that I'd like to bring, uh, last couple of points I'd like to bring up. Some of your listeners are probably very, very successful at a young age. And for them to get a life insurance policy, many of them aren't even going to be married yet. They're going to say, well, I don't even need a death benefit. Uh, why do I need a death benefit? And I would say, well, you don't need a death benefit, but you want a death benefit. And here's why you want a death benefit. First of all, it allows you to grow this tax-free according to the IRS guidelines. So that's a, it's a financial tool. We're not doing this as far as a death benefit. The other thing is, is that you get to lock in your health at an early age so that if you do develop a need for life insurance in the, in the future, because you did get married and you did have children, then you actually get to lock in your health at an early age. And frankly, this is, this is actually, I've been doing this since the eighties and I've seen a lot of bad things happen. I've seen where people have, were going to go through the process and they didn't. And then all of a sudden they call me up and say, uh, can I still do this? And I say, why are you so interested in doing it now? Well, I discovered I have this and I'm said, sorry, now you're not going to be eligible for it. So it's a, it's a financial tool that is tax grows tax free. You get to lock in your health. And then the, the biggest myth I think is this fight amongst 
you know, the insurance producers and the investment advisors. That's why you need a family office model mm -hmm. where people are actually on your team designing your entire uh, strategies that work for you and your family. And that's yeah. fascinating. And, you know, let me uh, make sure the listeners get this. Um, I can't go to my neighbor who's an insurance agent and say, hey, I want a whole life policy and then just start doing it. This is a, a specialized, you have to go through someone who knows what you're doing and knows how to do it. Is that correct? Well, yes. I, not that, yeah, I mean, you, they, they could all of a sudden, your neighbor might be, you know, aware of this, these design capabilities, but the likelihood of that happening is not, is not that great. Now, luckily, there's a big movement. Ever since we've driven down interest rates over the last 12 years, people have been searching for alternative places to store money. And then Nelson Nash, who was the original, um, got the concept of the infinite banking concept, he then started an institute and a certification process so that people know you're actually working with somebody that's certified in this for these designs. And it's becoming more and more prevalent. Every year I'm in it, I see more and more people taking advantage of this. So yes, I, I, we have this all the time, Mike. We have people call us up and said, I thought I was getting this, but I worked with my insurance person and I said, I want to do this. And they gave me something, but I don't think I got what I wanted to get. Mm -hmm. Can you look at it? Every, every couple of weeks, we have somebody calls our, our company and does that with us. And so, yes, in order to do this, you really need to work with an organization, I believe, that understands not only specially designed life insurance contracts, but also understands the other aspects of your financial life. And actually, just to piggyback on that, if you are going to your financial advisor and you're telling them how to advise you to reach your goals, I would just say that's a little bit of a mismatch. And ultimately, you want to be talking with somebody who gets your language, who understands your goals and where you're trying to go. And honestly, there's kind of two separate worlds when it comes to thinking about your money and not to disparage one way of thinking. There's just different ways of doing things, but there's one way that is more of a status quo common way that most people are very familiar with. And it's this perspective of saying, I'm going to trust someone else. I'm going to give my money to a financial advisor. They're going to grow my wealth for me. And I'm not necessarily the one in control. I may lose money. I hope it'll all work out. I'll probably have a good retirement. They're looking for an accumulation of net worth. However, most of the people we talk to, and I would bet that your audience is in this category as well, are people that are entrepreneurial thinkers. They're wanting to grow true wealth, not just hope to have a good nest egg, but they want to be in a position where they have streams of income. They want control. They're not looking to be okay. They're looking to be really wealthy and really live life to the fullest and truly accomplish that time and money freedom. And to do that, you need to be thinking about control and cash flow. And if you remember nothing else from this whole entire episode, I would say control and cash flow. Those are the two things that you really are looking for. And so ultimately you want to go to somebody who, if you're looking for privatized banking and infinite banking, you want somebody who's very familiar with implementing these types of policies for people like you. Okay. And to, you know, I know we need to wrap up. So uh, now the money advantage, if I hear you correctly, is not just, it's more of a, a um, a full shop. You yes. are not just putting, you know, the, the wealth and the money and the dividends into whole life. Uh, you're also advisors and, and what else really can we get 
uh, out of the money advantage. That's excellent. Bruce, do you want to take that and explain? Sure, sure Mike. We, we, have a, we have a full uh, network of attorneys, CPAs, um, financial planners, uh, insurance producers, all insurances, you know, PNC, disability, health, supplemental Medicare, uh, obviously life insurance. Um, and we do this in a coordinated manner so that nothing slips through the cracks. And we also do it in a collaborative manner so that people don't say, well, you should do life insurance because, you know, the investments are bad. Um, and then we don't have investment people say, oh, don't put money in life insurance, mm -hmm. you know, put in the investments. And so, and we also have an endowment model of uh, philosophy of investing and an endowment model of, uh, of investing, I'm sure you're familiar with because it has about 35% of alternative investments. Many of them are in non-traded real estate investments mm -hmm. like you have in your hotel group. Mm -hmm. Um, we have mineral mineral investments. We have oil and gas programs. We have strategic wireless, which are uh, uh, 5G uh, antennas across the nation. We have private lending options, so on and so forth. So we have all these that are actually handed, handled, excuse me, in a coordinated effort to once again try to mimic a family, an individual family office. And it, it, it sounds like. Uh... You know, something people that have a little more money that have uh, family limited partnerships, you know, we have FLPs within right. our organization that you'd actually within the FLP put it into the the whole insurance, you know, the whole life insurance to even protect quite it possibly. a little bit more, possibly do that. Quite, po quite possibly, you know, it, and all that will be, would be evaluated by state attorneys and mm -hmm. tax attorneys mm -hmm. um, that we, that we have, um, you know, and possibly you even asset protection specialists. Asset protection mm -hmm. specialists. Actually, we have one of the, you're in Scottsdale, one of our greatest resources, asset protection attorney in Scottsdale. Mm -hmm. um, he's, he's tremendous. The other thing is, is that what you're talking about is actually estate planning um, mm -hmm. in the form of a tax because many of your people are going to be very, very successful. And, I, and I'll close on this as far yep. as the very, very successful. Currently, the estate tax is hanging around for a couple around $23 million. Before uh, President Trump got in, it was around $11 million. Before President Obama got in, it was only $1 million per person. So, so that can be changed at any time. And frankly, I think because of our national debt and, and the craziness we're hearing out of California where they're gonna have an exit tax and so on and so forth, they're gonna be looking for other ways to tax. The best way to do that is people that are already dead, you know, is, is to, is to lower that exemption to very low amounts. And so anything above that, you're going to have to pay anywhere between 35, 45, 55% taxes on your estate. There's no better way to pay those taxes than a well-designed, highly leveraged life insurance proceeds that come at death to help the family then pay the taxes. I'm especially sensitive to this because Georgia Frontieri, the, um, the owner of the Rams, mm -hmm. when she died, her family had to sell the Rams to pay the estate tax. When they sold the Rams to Stan Kroenke, he then took the Rams and moved them to, back to Los Angeles. And I'm a St. Louis Rams fan, and they no longer exist. 
So this is the example I give all the time with estate planning. Uh, and your people, you know, they're not investing with you because they don't think they're going to be successful, right? They're investing with you because they think they're going to grow their wealth. Mm-hmm. So this is another way to take care of their estate planning, which is a plethora of ways to do it. You just have to make sure it's done according to your needs. You know, it's been a fascinating episode. I appreciate it. Uh, how can our listeners find you? Absolutely. Great question. Um, two ways. The best is go straight to themoneyadvantage.com. We have everything that you can possibly connect with right there. So if you're looking for just a quick guide to figure out more about privatized banking, you can click on the link right there. It's actually over at privatizedbankingsecrets.com, but it will absolutely redirect you from the money advantage. You can just dig into what is infinite banking all about and why would it benefit me? How do I boost my investment returns and allow my money to work in two places at the same time so that I'm doing more with my money, but I'm not taking on any more risk. So that's a really quick guide, a video course. If you want to just kind of dip your toe in and say, I want to learn more about this. We also have a podcast and we talk about infinite banking all the time. We also talk about business and your personal financial life. We talk about how to pay off loans in an efficient manner. We talk about how to increase your cash flow and control in a really comprehensive way that is personal finance for the entrepreneurially minded. And then if you're ready to book an appointment and you say, I hear something right now that I am wanting to take advantage of in my own life. And I'm saying, I want to build time and money freedom in a way that I'm using infinite banking and cash flow strategies to maximize as much of my money as possible and use alternative investments. And I want a comprehensive path to take me from where I am to that place of building time and money freedom. So I can leave the greatest legacy We have an advisor team that would love to talk with you and you can get straight on our calendar at themoneyadvantage.com. There's a link to click to go right to our calendar right now and find an appointment. And we work with you, whether that's through financial products, through consulting or through an advisory. And so we have multiple ways that we can work with someone based on your specific needs, your your current financial picture in your business and your personal life and what you're trying to accomplish. Sounds great. Bruce, Rachel, I appreciate it. And I uh, hope both of you have a uh, wonderful day. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Richer Geek Podcast, where we're helping others find creative ways to build wealth and financial freedom. For today's show notes, including all the links and resources from our show and more information about our guests, visit us at www therichergeek.com slash podcast and don't forget to jump over to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button share with others who could benefit from listening and leave a rating and review to get the podcast in front of more eyes I appreciate you and thanks for listening